Lindsay are dangerously eclectic. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, to anyone of all ages and in between, welcome back to another episode of Dangerously Eclectic. I am Ben, and with me as always is L. You can find us on the Twitter machine at Ben Dangerously for myself, at Electric Heretic. Eclectic, please. Oh, eclectic. What eclectic, did I say? Eclectic. Electric, which electric is also fine, but that's <laughs> very different and may involve the church in some fashion. It probably did. It's a good bad name, though. Yeah, not bad at all. Um, sorry, but yes, eclectic heretic. Uh, I'm sure there's something I believe that you don't. That's uh, the source of the name. So. Yes. Um, anyway, as we were saying, and I apologize to El for flubbing his Twitter handle after all this time, but we wanted to do what is probably either the penultimate episode of our 25 under 25 series, which has probably been like 2,500 under 25, but that's okay. Yeah, and I think this may be the pre-penultimate, actually. Uh, there's probably a word for that, but if there is, I don't have it. We're going to hit animation tonight, like you said. Um, next time, we're probably going to look at gaming, and then I think we did want to wrap on the Cold War. Correct me if I'm wrong. That sounds right. Okay. So, animation, it, it's hard, in my opinion to make people of any other real generational frame understand how dominant an influence animation was over our lives. Um, you know, because we go from, they were still showing some, some cartoons that Warner Brothers and Disney will absolutely deny to the death they ever made these days um, on TV back then. We were getting Saturday morning cartoons, you know, you know were a thing. And, and they were trusted. They were trusted enough that we were left, yeah, get up, go watch them, leave us alone, we want to sleep by our parents. Um, you know, and we saw that, the birth of The Simpsons, the birth of South Park. Um, anime became huge in the States, at least, uh, while we were still in our... Twice. Yeah, yeah, actually. It did, you're right. Um, it just was... It was a it was a absolutely gigantic and probably way outsized for what it should have been influence uh, on us and I don't know you know where Ben wants to start off with it but I'm gonna let him take the lead I just I, we'll we'll tr hopefully try and explore that a little further the importance as we go but just know that from the very first time we were set down in front of PBS as toddlers. <laughs> Uh, you know, the modern day, I think animation's been a gigantic and and, and probably outsized influence on, on me, for sure. Yeah, I think we're going to have a little bit of variance there because I, you know, obviously do have animation that I wanted to talk about and that made my list. But I don't know that they have been at least not as consistently an influence on my life as they have with yours. But with that said... I would say that the one that had the earliest influence on me was Scooby-Doo. Yeah, Scooby-Doo. Um, yeah, I'm going to come back at you with one. Not my, not really ever my big thing, man. Okay. Um, on the Merry Melodies and uh, other Warner Brothers stuff uh, was probably my biggest one early on. And remember, those go 40s, 50s. Mm -hmm. maybe 60s uh you know roadrunner and wiley e. coyote super genius um that stuff for me and as much as i hate to say it because it's not that good tom and jerry uh <laughs> those were I, I don't know i think just because i saw them so young mm -hmm. uh scooby-doo by the time it, it showed up on my radar not as big a thing for me, probably because I was already on to He-Man, G.I. Joe, uh, She-Ra, <laughs> that kind of stuff. But I can definitely see it with you. What was it about it that, that really rang, rang a bell um, for you? 
It's hard to say for sure. I mean, there are several contributing factors. One, it is the earliest cartoon that I remember. Now, of course, I remember all that Hanna-Barbera stuff. But I... Oh, God, yeah, I'd forgotten the Flintstones, the Jetsons, yeah. the, all the Honeymooners-inspired stuff, or if nothing else. Yep. And then also the Warner Brothers cartoons. I did get into those a little bit later. But I think part of what it was is my mom had me when she was 20 years old. So she was barely more than a kid herself, you could argue. And her favorite cartoon had been Scooby-Doo. So she would watch Scooby-Doo. So that probably had something to do with it. But I just remember, you know, a talking dog. How fucking cool is that? (laughs) You know? Hey, Jabberjaw. (laughs) You can go to the talking shark. Yeah, but I mean, Scooby was infinitely cooler than Way, way, way better. Yeah, I will (laughs) say... In the anthropomorphized talking objects and or animals category, there's one that I dearly love that seemingly nobody remembers, Wheelie and the Chopper Bunch. Um, <laughs> I remember them, but I didn't really watch Wheelie, them. it was sort of a Scooby-Doo knockoff, except they were the same villains all the time. It was terrible, probably, but it, to my little kid brain, it... It was wonderful. Wheelie was a dune buggy, and and the chopper bug yeah, all yeah, talked. Yeah. But wasn't he a kid who turned into a dune buggy, or was that a different show? That I honestly bet at this point I don't remember. The big thing I remember about it is that the motorcycle, the motorcycles all talked like, "We're gonna get it," which to me was just stupidly amusing you know well i mean you know um, and that's part of what it was with scooby-doo too and we have to admit that maybe not i mean it still was a saturday morning cartoon show but it was somewhat subversive oh no question so yeah, that's it, a, i mean you had a, a gang of people who certainly would not ordinarily be hanging out with one another right um <laughs> Some pretty yeah, obvious stoners. <laughs> All driving around in this old broken down. It was it was a more seventies cartoon than I think any certainly before or after. And it may have not been out in the well, sixties, right? No, totally. Uh counterculture was kind of starting to die by the early seventies. But yeah, that that's mid sixties, late sixties era. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely after 69 because it's kind of got a little bit of that laugh into it. Yeah, well, even just the flowers on the van, now that you said that, I hadn't thought about it. Um, and sub- subversiveness is something I think goes into a lot of, obviously now, mm-hmm. y- you know, animation. Well, actually, I might go so far as to say now that with Family Guy and, and you know, American Dad and the Seth... McFarland Ovi, uh, not to mention some of the more mainstream stuff. It may it's really kind of gone from subversive to simply common denominator. Um, I don't think King of the Hill that way. The Simpsons for the first eight or so seasons definitely weren't. Um, but even back, even back in the fifties, sixties. There, there was an element to it of gleeful discarding of norms, I guess is the way I would try and say it best. I would say that that's probably definitely true for the Warner Brothers. They felt much more um, edgy than like Hanna-Barbera or any of the other things did. Yeah, and, and you know, that's the that's another side of the coin, especially with the Warner Brothers stuff, but... Even even Scooby-Doo introducing, whether we knew it or not, introducing American kids to those um, Benny Goodman show-style chase scenes. Yeah. Uh, but how many of us would have known opera without Bugs Bunny at that age? Right. How many of us would have had the commonality of a musical tradition which, you know, had carried on since very early in American history um, with certain songs, with certain meanings to songs it taught us it taught us visual and and auditory media literacy um which sounds weird but it's for example if you've studied film at all it's the same way that if a car leaves pointed to the right and goes off screen 
it will pull up from left to right when it gets to where it's going. And that implies that it's one trip and you're okay skipping the time in between, stuff like that. Um, it really, it unlocked a lot of that stuff, but it also unlocked a lot of culture uh, for me that I know I wouldn't have been exposed to otherwise. Shakespeare stuff, it, it, mm -hmm. you know, it's, I, and I think it's hard to measure that, that side of it as an influence, but it was definitely there. Yeah. Um, and I'll, I'll transition to more to talking about Warner Brothers, but there was another point on Scooby-Doo that I wanted to make in that, you know, ultimately, and this is one of these things that you'll see on a meme these days, but it's ultimately one of the cool things about Scooby-Doo, and there have been a, a billion different series, and some of them, the monsters actually were real. But at least in the early ones, in the first few seasons, the ones that I'm most familiar with, the monster was never real. It was always... Some, it's old Mr. McFeeny yeah. who oh, ran the, the amusement yeah, exactly. park. Or, right, yeah. right. It, it was somebody who was getting turned sideways on a business deal and was trying to come up with a way to get that sweet lucre. That's, you're right. I have seen some of that stuff, but that's actually also, I think, another reason that one was so subversive is it showed the effect the economy yeah. and the decline of the economy was having. Um, that hadn't really, I mean, like I said, I know I'd seen it, but that didn't come to me when you first brought up, brought up the show. I mean, I think there's um, a paper there for you, um, Scooby-Doo, eh, through a linenist <laughs> viewer. Oh, somebody's probably already written it, to be honest. <laughs> but, you know, it's, isn't that around the same time? I'd have to look up when the Amityville Horror came out. Um, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. I think but 77, but I could be wrong on that. Um, the thing about it though was, and I can't take credit for this idea either. This is in, uh, published in 77. The film was released in 79. Uh, Stephen King in his book, Don Smokob, that's, he points out that that's an economic horror film. Well, a lot of horror films of that era represent either you know, some some kind of anxiety, whether economic, sexual, nuclear, um, cultural, yeah, <laughs> right, right. But um, Scooby Doo, in a way, really was like an economic dystopia, um, and maybe even more than that, it was a world where these were just meddling kids, interrupting a weird and for whatever reason dysfunctional world that the adults around them were normal and thought was normal and loved. I will say they loved living in it. You don't typically put on luminescent paint and rig up <laughs> theme park rides to frighten people if you're just loving your life. Those are some elaborate <laughs> bullshit things. That's all I got to say. Yes, they are. <laughs> but, but, you know. I will it, have my vengeance in the most inconvenient way possible, which is a good segue into comic books. But anyway. Oh, yeah. Well, I think given... I think we could do this. I think that includes it. That's animation, wouldn't you say? Um, I consider manga animation. I don't generally consider Western-style comic books animation. Well, we can certainly talk about them here. But it sounded um, like I was interrupting you in the middle of a point about Scooby-Doo. Well, things sound that way a lot with me. It doesn't necessarily mean they're true. However, <laughs> Scooby-Doo, I do think you're seeing the youth's side of that countercultural revolution and subculture that you are seeing that from their point of view, this stuff's just ridiculous. And it doesn't seem like it's that hard to solve. It's like, look guys, this, this stuff isn't real. Let's just, you know, get down to looking at what's actually going on and things will be okay. And, <laughs> which, may have been naive optimism, but I think to some extent naive optimism defined the hippie generation. Um, I do think that there is something to that, because what I was going to say is I didn't think it felt that dystopian, because it was actually fairly hopeful, because... They were. Well, yeah, and they always seemed pretty happy. <laughs> I mean, you know, you said that they were driving around in a broke-down old bus... I mean, it didn't break down that much. I mean, hey, it was a cartoon. They're not going to show a whole lot. I mean, every now and again, it would inconveniently break down, but that's a pretty standard TV trope. Right. Uh, and so I do think that there is this hopeful younger generation revealing the um, sins of the father, for lack of a better term. And yeah. So I, I do think of that as a very hopeful show. 
And this is something that I'm probably stealing from Dork Tower. But if you think about it, by the time we get to the 90s and some of the TV we talked about, the X-Files is kind of the anti-Scooby-Doo. Because it's two government agents running around who never really make anything better. And and no matter how many times the threat is proved to be an extraterrestrial or supernatural threat, they never fucking believe it, so they never learn their lesson. Right. Scooby-Doo, they never don't believe that it's a monster. Well, Velma's usually opposed. Yeah, well, you know, Velma's a smart atheist lesbian, so... At least in the fanfic. She she was cool before her time. Um, sure. was awesome. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I can't move on from Scooby Doo without mentioning Fred's ascot. I really have nothing to say about it other than why, and yet it fit his character so well. It's just such a ludicrous choice of neckwear for anyone in that generation or anything else. He just had an ascot. It kind of went without saying. You know <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he was like probably the quarterback of the high school team too. Uh, well, it implied maybe that he was kind of rich and yet was hanging with these these other kids. I, th- I think he and Daphne obviously were meant to be the preppy uh, dropouts, you know, <laughs> or what have you that were hanging out with the stoners and the smart kid. Um, but. I got nothing else. I just had to mention the ascot, really. And frankly, I just like saying ascot. Ascot Rangers. <laughs> Something you said did ring a bell with me, though. Um, talking about the X-Files and kind of the way that flipped, it, it made me think of, you said in Scooby-Doo, they always believed the monsters were real. Well, Scooby and Shaggy did. That's true. Right? Um, Fred and, and Velma and Daphne were usually trying to catch it. And Fred was always telling the guys like, calm down <laughs> to just chill for a minute, have some Scooby snacks, yeah. um, medicate your anxieties fellows. So way ahead of its time in that regard, <laughs> just on a side note, I got my prescription now, for Xanax refilled today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but your fears and anxieties are only part of your imagination. Please take your pills and step to the right. Right. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, can, let, let's backtrack, if you don't mind, just a little bit to some of the Warner Brothers stuff. We can go, um, oh, man. Yeah, I know. But I, you're the one I'm. <laughs> if nothing else, I want you to keep track with me. Um. Warner Brothers, in a, in a lot of ways, especially in the, the, the World War II era on into the 50s, was exactly the opposite. Despite their irreverence, despite the humor involved and the violent nature thereof, they upheld cultural norms. Uh, yeah, and oh, not even cultural norms that we are necessarily comfortable with anymore at least that we should oh no my god go find some of the ones where bugs bunny was japanese or yeah you know uh well i mean heckle and jekyll and oh yeah how a lot of the characters resemble minstrel show characters oh my lord disney's song of the south yep uh which we'll never see light of day again out of the vault but I saw that in a movie theater as a kid. Yeah, obviously not first run, but it they would right. show it every now and again. Well, I mean, I I saw it on like the local ABC affiliate or whatever channel it was that had, you know, Warner Brothers and the Disney classics. Yeah, yeah, and somehow it was portrayed in the same light as Gone with the Wind. <laughs> which... Gone with the Wind still skates, which annoys the piss out of me, but that is not animation. <sighs> No, it's not, but I'm with you on that one. <laughs> um, but, and Hattie McDaniel and Butterfly McQueen deserved better than they got, for sure. But, you know, Song of the South, those racist, racist propaganda films that that Warner Brothers did, um, even some of the stuff, the Foghorn Leghorn stuff with the smart little chicken, um, you know, who was never the hero. The chicken the gra- 
the grasping old woman. Well, no, I'm not thinking of the I'm a chicken hot tough kid. I'm thinking of the little boy with glasses, the little chick with glasses. Oh, the sky is falling chick, yeah. Yes, that at one point does a but they're playing hide and seek. He does a bunch of algebraic calculations, digs a hole in the ground, and pulls him out of like a box he'd been hiding in like 30 yards away. <laughs> I'm not going to look. I just might be in there. Uh, but the 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 really intelligent, that was outside the norm. Wile E. Coyote, super genius, was, was mocked, right? That that wasn't, he wasn't a genius. He was, he was played for laughs. Um, I, the, the rascal, the rogue, the underdog, which I guess to some extent, internationally was our view of ourselves prior to the war probably i mean um that that's our view of ourselves now amongst i would say a, a large percentage of the population yeah yeah even though we're definitely not anymore um, but that that was really about reinforcing and there was a certain yeah you weren't supposed to root for the bully but yeah it was okay to use some of their tactics to outsmart them. It was, uh, it just, if you really watched that stuff, it did drum in a lot of the culture of the fifties, a lot of that suburban white picket fence, two and a half kids, you know, yeah. Leave it to beaver culture. Mm, Yeah. It mocked it a little bit, but it, it didn't, try to subvert it in any way. No, it's the gentle mockery of an institution that, yes, we realize may not be great, but it's there and we all love it, really. And, right, it's gently, yeah. it's gently poking fun. It's not trying to take it down or or subvert it, like you said, in any right. way. All right, and, and I said subvert, and it wasn't trying to definitely do that. But I was going to say critiquing it. It's not really critiquing it in any meaningful way. No, it's not, not at all. And I do think you see that starting to change with some of the Hanna-Barbera stuff, um, although definitely not Flintstones and Jetsons. Well, those um, are from an, a little bit earlier, too. Um, and it's so weird because that um, Hanna-Barbera stuff goes on, off again, on again for so long <laughs> that keeping straight exactly what it was. Because, I mean, you know, there'd be like, Space goes coast to coast for a couple of years and then something else. And they put Space Ghost and something else as a guest star, like the Hanna-Barbera all-star cartoon. Oh, no, wait, wait. Space Ghost coast to coast is another discussion entirely. No, no, I'm talking about like, well, just like instead of C-Lab 2021, just C-Lab, you know? Right. No, the original Space Ghost, yeah. sure. Um, Underdog, I think, right. was Hanna-Barbera. I think so. Um, and I loved Underdog. Yeah, I consider all the generic names that I know to be Hanna-Barbera. Mighty Mouse, Inch High, Private Eye, uh, which if nothing else what was is why I'm... Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, the dog didn't occur at Kung Fu. A Hong Kong Fooey. Yeah, Hong super Kong guy. Yeah. Um, Secret Squirrel. Yeah. Morocco Mole. Uh, <laughs> which you know Hanna Barbera was able to turn out so much stuff because they reused like every backdrop they'd ever made. But yeah. <laughs> there were a whole lot of scenes that were just a backdrop scrolling past some moderately moving characters. A character whose mouth was moving and maybe an eye would blink every now and again. <laughs> yes, it was ridiculous, but but it it was it worked. No, uh, totally, they made the money hand over fist, and and for good reason. A lot of humor doesn't change that much. Well, and also that was, you know, the animation of the generation before us or half generation that we were getting in re- reruns and syndication because it was cheap to to r- run those old shows as opposed to pay for new pro- programming. Right, right. And then unless there's there's more in that era you really want to cover. Um, I mean, there's tons more i'm sure i mean I, there are brain. some names that i want to say that i don't yeah please hit them about. hit them and like, what you got thundar the barbarian um loved that show which was basically if you're unfamiliar he-man with a wookie um <laughs> i've got to go back and watch more of that now. well i mean you know 
Oh, it's it's He Man with a lightsaber and a Wookiee. To be completely fair, and then like an awesome space witch woman with him. But I nice. still remember the intro of that, where the meteor comes too close and passes in between like the Earth and the Sun or the Earth and the Moon. I don't know, and it fucks up all. Um, the gravitational pull and turns Earth into a post-apocalyptic wasteland where only Thundar and his sun sword, which was the lightsaber that he wore on his wrist. <laughs> and I can't remember what the guy's name, but it was like a Wookiee with a lion head was the side. <laughs> <laughs> and it was all the, all the, if you were my age, which I don't know how old I was, and I still think it's pretty cool, but if like pre- under 10 years old, this strange amalgamation of Star Wars, He-Man, which I don't even think I fucking knew about yet. It's just this huge, muscular, blonde dude. The Conan, um, Savage Sword of Conan, and those comics and everything like that. And then, like, a woman who does magic. It was, like, the perfect blend. 1980, and uh, ran for two seasons. Is all yep. you got of Thundar. It seemed like a magic. It was a magic. Of course, that was probably like 64 episodes. <laughs> yeah, who knows? It's actually got a pretty good rating uh, on TV.com. We never see it, dude. Yeah, well, and it, A, he was an escaped slave as well. I had forgotten that. I don't even know that I ever knew that. Because I so... doubt I ever actually saw all of either season. <laughs> um, you know, that though... That sort of gaming grouping. Yeah. D came out when? 75? I think that's right. And so that was probably just knowing the type of people who go into animation these days. I don't assume they've changed that drastically. That was probably to some extent an influence on that. Certainly Conan was. And Conan, those books were out way before that. Oh, yeah. Sword and sorcery cool. stuff. I mean, yeah. Um, John Carter. Uh, those a yeah, lot of totally. stuff. I mean, and it was just that it, it it was like a a fantastical element to the sci-fi that you don't really get anymore. But since and then this has got its good points too. Um, but since the general public, even though it seems to be in retrenchment, is more scientifically educated, so it has to make sense in a different kind of way. The reality of it has changed enough in the cultural zeitgeist that even fantastic representations have to obey certain scientific laws that that earlier phase of sci-fi fantasy that informed these cartoons didn't. Which is my sort of disagreeing sound, obviously. Um, I, I don't completely disagree. I do think that as long as there's internal consistency within the world, a lot of viewers don't have, and a lot of, of readers don't have problems with it. Uh, it's not, I mean, Dune is still vastly popular, it, you know, and, but it, know, and vastly, I, but... well, comparatively with some other stuff, I'm really, <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's popular amongst a certain set of individuals, <laughs> well, but if when... you, if you asked, you know, people, are you a fan of sci-fi? And they said, yes general public like if we were on one of these god-awful late night shows now star like, trek yeah star trek star wars it i don't think dune is a tentpole in the way that those are even no. the matrix is probably more known or terminator oh definitely terminator which speaking of internal consistency that series couldn't ever decide what the heck it thought about time I, but <laughs> not even close but I, I think as long as there's some internal consistency, we're somewhat willing to accept it. Look at the success of the Marvel movies, which, yes, have some science, but they, they've got Doctor Strange. Right. You know, living in the same world with Iron Man. They've got the... the I would argue that they didn't start with that either. No, but they started with Thor. Where's the science of... I mean, not not truly started, but he was right in there. Where's the science of Thor? They treat them like they're an extraterrestrial race. Yeah. Which technically they are. True, true, they do. But, uh, you know, and especially, I mean, if you look at the second movie, which if you took it from the comic books or from actual mythology, those wouldn't have been like space elves. You know what I'm right. saying? Those would have been true dark elves, which is an entirely different connotation. That Marvel, and I haven't seen Doctor Strange, 
but it's really good. Um, but it fits into there the way that this is all just hypertech that is stylized to to mimic, you know, fantasy stuff. The idea that magic is just science we haven't discovered yet. Right. Yeah. I. True. Um, I still don't feel like. And it's ironic, and I guess I'm, I'm to some extent so desperate to defend this because I still feel like, no, no, I'm not even going to defend it. I'll come out and go to the reason I was trying to so hard. People are less willing to suspend their disbelief for movies than they are for real life these days. And that depresses the hell out of me. Say that again. People are less willing to suspend their disbelief in a movie or fiction universe than they are in real life. Gotcha. They'll go soak up whatever they see on Facebook or Instagram or God knows what obviously trolling or satirical news site. And you can tell just from its web address uh, and, and every side of every issue. But they'll, they'll go find that stuff and they're, they're eager to believe it. I'm but also... you, you know, but you tell them, hey, this is space. Oh, no, it's not because this didn't happen. And that. <laughs> And that's entertainment. That's not real life. You're right. We're demanding more realism in our escapism than we are in our daily lives. I well, I mean, you and I both know, and I'm not. This is not a judgmental statement, even if it sounds like one. I know a lot of people who spend way more time engaged with their entertainment and escapism than they do the real world. Yeah. And, you know, that really may have always been the case. Oh, I'm sure it was. And, you know, I was, God, and there was a long stretch in my 20s where I spent way more time engaged with either the game, you know, the gaming groups that I was in or running or that kind of thing or thinking about the movies that we were going to see or what TV show than I did on real world, quote unquote, things. Right. Yeah, no, that's true. I even remember critics back in the day saying, "Watch, you're watching the real world, but you're not living in it." <laughs> it's like TV, you know. Um, I mean, that's kind of one of the whole things of the Matrix. Yeah, it is. It is. Or um, even if you want to go back further than that, in counterculture to the that whole tune in, turn on, and drop out thing, even though that was, you know, put acid in your veins. Yeah, but. That that idea of using hallucinogens or whatever else to transcend, to see a higher level, meditation, whatever, but to, to see a higher level of existence than the one we occupy, that's that's a religious impulse. And I that makes a lot of sense to me actually. I would uh, I've argued in the past that we've subverted We've taken what the Greeks did with their gods, and we've turned them into celebrities, which they, that's all—that's what they were. They were entertainment. They—they they were TMZ to the ancient Greeks. I mean, maybe not way back in the beginning, right? But by the time the Iliad and the Odyssey came out, people didn't think, you know, that Athena actually came down literally and whispered something in Odysseus's ear. They meant, hey, he had a stroke of genius, and. The gods, the stories of the gods became entertainment. Zeus is the the fat old guy who sits around trying to cheat all the time. <laughs> Hera's the woman who's ticked off about it and goes after him and punishes the wrong people because she punishes the women. <laughs> well, I mean, they, were, they, reflect, they reflect the morality of the society. Yeah. In the way that, and I'm going to I'm going to take one step back from you on that, and that I'm not going to say that there were not true believers of that mystic reality. Then, for if for no other reason, then there are plenty of people who believe that all the miracles of the Old Testament happened, not only happened. But continue to happen today. People just don't see that as well because they have closed themselves off to God. Yes, and, and there's, you're, you know, and and I guess the debate between literalist and poet or or mystic mystic has been going on for yeah ever. Yeah, um, Homer might have meant it as an allegory. There are certainly people who understood it as such. I mean, we touched on that with 
the Torah and the Old Testament. Right. Um, so I'm sure that there was an element of that too, but I'm also not going to say that there also wasn't some like, and not to knock on these kinds of people, um, shepherds that is, uh, but some kid or old man who was tending a flock and reading those stories who didn't think, holy shit, this could actually happen. Right. No, I, and, and even today, you're right. That, and that's certainly not to knock any of my uh, pagan or atheist or, not at all. or you know, um, Norse, Druidic, whatever friends, because I have a lot of them. Uh, <laughs> just, but I guess personally, I take more of like a Hindu version of it in that you're looking at an idealized facet of a multifaceted jewel. Um, and we're so far off animation. So yeah, I guess far. a little bit. That's so what happens when you're dangerously eclectic. <laughs> yes, it is. So let's go back to Thundar. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> because I did look, and there was a line of toys based on it. I don't and, remember any toys at all, but I wish I had them. Well, that mental check note for Christmas, if they're not $8,000, which they probably are, but... <laughs> The first, that 80s, that early 80s, when at the very beginning of the commercialization of the 80s, that's the first time I remember, and maybe the first time it existed, that the toys were made first, and then the show was made to sell the toys. Yeah, it's a commercial. Instead of vice versa. Yeah. Because, um... There, there's actually this cool series called Behind the Toys or something like that. I saw it on YouTube. I don't remember exactly what it was. But anyway, it goes into like the popular toy brands from the 80s and then like does the backstory. And they had an episode on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles that was fantastic. And it actually shows that struggle between the creators of the comic book and the Which toy company that bought dark. the rights. So dark. Yeah. You've never read the comic. <laughs> yeah. No. The the original black and white ones were. Yeah. And but yeah, they they made that they made that cartoon. They made those movies to sell the toys. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. It was actually a toy company that bought them and funded all that. Well, Hasbro. Hasbro made GI Joe. Yeah. The, I mean, you know, and not the original, obviously the twelve inch, sixteen inch, whatever they were, you know, World War Two figures. But dolls i'll just call them dolls that's what they are and you can say action figures all you want world <laughs> but they brought that back and all of a sudden you had 1800 characters and 4000 vehicles transformers same thing yeah i no, don't know that i'm playing voltron i probably should but i'm not entirely sure of voltron's lineage and it may have come from japan of course it may have still been to sell toys probably um, but all of those. And, dude, I wanted the Voltron stuff so yeah, bad. Too. I, I only wanted the Lion Voltron. I didn't want that See, bullshit vehicle. I got the vehicle one. Yeah. <laughs> I had I'm sorry you got the bullshit one. I know. <laughs> it's like getting GoBots <laughs> when you really yeah, wanted right. Transformers. Yeah, that happened to me one year. I got GoBots instead of Transformers. Uh... I was so bummed. <laughs> I kind of feel like a dick now, but it's just like, oh. I, I know. I, and I tried not to be ungrateful because that was also the year that I found out that the Santa Claus wasn't real, um. <laughs> which does which does like oh oh <laughs> yeah. you know give you a little more appreciation and maybe make you want to go a little easier on your Christmas list. <laughs> but yeah, it's and it's hard to to overstate what an influence those toys were. Oh, totally. Um, if nothing else, I, how many kids that grew up in the 80s would have been so, also a character named from G.I. Joe, gung-ho, to go join the military potentially if they hadn't seen that 800,000 laser shots never actually hit anything or anybody? <laughs> yeah. And, and not that we should go around showing bloody carnage of war to children. Well, I mean, that was whole... So there's this thing, and I don't know the full history of it, but part of the reason that you have that switch from shows like um, Thundar or some of the other Hanna-Barbera stuff that is kind of violent, not like super-duper violent, right. to the Scooby-Doo kind of things, is because 
parents asked the government to censor them. So similar to the comic book code. Similar, yeah. Now, I don't know exactly what all was done, whether the government actually did censor or just threatened to and the the company sw- moved away from it. Right. But I think you see a little bit of that in G.I. Joe and Transformers. They show violence, but it's a very hyper it, – it is, it's similar it's to the Looney Tunes. Yes, that's exactly the word I was looking for. It's sanitized. Yeah. Well, even – and that's always been a trend. I mean – Go back to the Three Stooges, and <laughs> no, yeah. that's not animated, but in the in the slapstick style, it almost might as well have been. Um, and it's always been whitewashed, and I don't disagree necessarily with doing that. You know, the original Grimm Grimm's fairy tales. The if you look at what fairy tales used to be, not totally. Right? You are trying to get kids ready for the world, but G.I. Joe was one. He-Man was another one. Um, (laughs) He-Man. Man at arms. All Uh, the man names. Manny faces. (laughs) Joe Man and Bob Man. Pistol. I I pistol them as hard and as long as I could, but in the end, my fist wasn't enough. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> now the battle cat was cool yeah um, i don't remember battle cat's name when he wasn't yeah, battle cat but um, that's right that's right um and then of course thunder 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 cats um powers of evil transform this decayed form into mamra the ever living you know something Mumra and Skeletor were some absolutely first-class villains. For sure. Oh, the 80s had the best villains. Cobra Commander, fucking Skeletor and Mumra. Destro. Uh, Destro. The the big dick swinging on a... Fuck, what is his name? Uh, the Transformers villain. Oh, dear lord. Megatron. Megatron. Yeah. Although, although frankly, I preferred his treacherous Lieutenant Starscream. Well, I can understand that. Uh, well, yeah. I, I, I like to think of us as a a close uh, symbiote of Megatron and Starscream. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not sure when the betrayal is coming, but at least you'll be ready. <laughs> it won't matter. We can be a traditional. Right, right, and uh, just, but. The commercialization of that, and and we ate it up with spoons. You know, actually, the He-Man toys, the Masters of the Universe toy line, made me hate the cartoon. Really? Yeah, because I actually got into Masters of the Universe fairly early. I think it was probably because those dudes all looked like... uh... Uh, wrestlers. Um, Which, tie back, real quick, have you seen the WWE Scooby-Doo crossover? Um, I think so. The one worth it if you have it. Yeah. <laughs> worth it if you have it. No, um, the modern one. There, there's a modern one. Anyway, go find it sometime. It's really good. <laughs> I mean, it's terrible, but it's really good. Right. But those came, those toys came with a little comic book. And, you know, like a little four inch by, it was, might have been four inch by four inch or five inch by four inch or something like that. Anyway, a little comic book that told the origins of the character. Right. And I had He-Man and it told his origin. It was like, He-Man, it's a barbarian from the Northern tribes, blah, blah, blah. So very Robert E. Howard, Conan. Yes. Nothing and in there about a fucking magic, or he does find a magic sword and he's charged with guarding the secrets of Castle Grayskull. But none of this bullshit. But he's not bullshit knight, about, page, like, gallant Prince Adam. <laughs> no, he's a he's a motherfucking barbarian who will rip out your motherfucking throat. And he won't stop to sing for non-blondes while he does that. <laughs> oh, that I love, but yeah. Oh yes, if you haven't seen, just go look up He Man. What's going on? If you if you haven't seen that yet, you'll. You'll thank us. Uh, um, and and that's weird because I will say what made me hate He-Man was the movie. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. Dolph Lundgren, amazing. But yeah, what was that? Beat your ass. 
What was that little dude and his magic musical key? And... The guy that should have been Orko, yeah. yeah. It was. Oh. <laughs> oh, I almost want to say Dworkin. And of course, that's, <laughs> that's not right. Um, really far out there, Rogers Elasny reference. Go read the Amber Chronicles if you like sci fi. Um, anyway it's let's move a little further forward again if you don't care and the two keystones that brought me into the modern animation world because and some of y'all will remember i've mentioned the strictness of my upbringing i was not really allowed to watch the simpsons um but i did get a computer and i did have internet and it was unmonitored (laughs) and i was driving at this point the who did the metallica napster cartoon oh camp chaos camp chaos and the original south park christmas card those oh dude the one the original one with santa and jesus fighting like hadouken style fireballs and yes. yes those those two things to me really signaled kind of animation coming into its own in the modern world I mean, you had had glimpses before. You can talk about heavy metal. We haven't covered anime at all, but you can, you know, Vampire Hunter D or Akira or, which, Akira is art. I do. <laughs> A lot of anime was. Uh, and is. That, you know, we, uh, Studio Ghibli and all of that stuff. But, but those for American, that's what brought the irreverence and the absolute just over-the-topness of animation back in a way that I hadn't really seen since that 50 stuff stopped getting run on Saturday mornings. I, I do think that that is probably, in my life, also the um, second stage of anime. Would probably be those shows. Now, I never really got into The Simpsons because when that started, we didn't have access to Fox. So right. I just never got to watch it. So it would have been, yeah, probably, God, I don't remember exactly when it started, but it was probably like their fifth season, if not later, before I would have had time to access it. And by then I was just like, I didn't, I don't really like that style of animation. Right. Um, so it's just like, whatever. Uh, yeah, I saw a couple episodes and some episodes are good. I always liked the Treehouse of Terror stuff. Oh, Treehouse of Horrors are excellent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and there's some other great ones in there. There are, uh, I'll tell you this. I prefer King of the Hill to the Simpsons. Yeah. By quite a long shot. King of the Hill, Daria, Beavis and Butthead. Oh my God. Mike Judge. All of those. Yeah. Who also office space. Oh, if there's a movie of our Gen X work experience, (laughs) it is office space. More clerks. Um, <clears throat> yeah, well, it depends on what stage of your career you're in, doesn't it? Yeah, well, what your industry is. <laughs> uh, but th- those cartoons, especially South Park. Yeah, because South Park was vicious in a way the Simpsons never were. And, right. You know, I Simpsons get they were on, a, they were on cable edgy. as opposed to, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, but remember, this is edgy back when people thought it was a big deal that you heard a toilet flush on Married with Children because that had never been done on television. Right. I, That's <laughs> never been done on television. It was hadn't. There, there had never been a toilet flush. Right. I, I, and it's not like they showed the water swirling down the bowl. <laughs> But just that sound, as though that were somehow just so subhuman that it yeah. not that you dare not speak its name. <laughs> the activity which must not be named. <laughs> um, so yeah, the Simpsons were edgy for that. But and don't get me wrong, without the Simpsons, they're probably. I won't say without The Simpsons, there's no South Park. I will say without The Simpsons, you don't have the money behind King of the Hill and all of Seth MacFarlane's stuff that you have. There's I no would, way. I would almost say that there probably wouldn't be a South Park without The Simpsons, too. 
if for no other reason. Was. What's that? It wouldn't be what it was. I, I can agree. Yeah, and you prob you're probably right on the funding front, although Comedy Central at that time was still so young and looking for something, maybe. Yeah, but I mean, also without The Simpsons proving that it was possible, I mean, I don't know that they would have sunk the money in there. Plus, you know, we can say that The, the Simpsons, and, and probably to a little bit, um, South Part 2, they have lifespans that have extended past perhaps their humor date. Uh, <laughs> not that they're not funny, but they're not they're they're no longer shocking and irreverent in the same way. Right, and it disappoints me that and I and don't get me wrong, I watch a lot of the the Seth MacFarlane so well I did I don't anymore, but you're start you're starting to see it again with Rick and Morty. Yeah, no, I love um, Rick and Morty. The same kind of subversive stuff you saw back when Adult Swim started. Yeah. on Cartoon Network, and you were getting Space Ghost Coast to Coast, and you see <laughs> C-Lab 2021. Um, I, they may not have been, but those of us watching that in our early 20s were fairly certain some of those writers were truly high on crack. <laughs> <laughs> well, they would play it up like they were, too, in like their fucked-up commercials. But... Oh, and interviews? Yeah. And, and, you know... Um, they made okay. animation feel very rock and roll. They did the Brack show, um, all the stuff that spun off Space Ghost. Man, Space Ghost Coast to Coast was amazing. Absolutely, Harvey Birdman, attorney at law. You know that stuff was so great, and and maybe because it was taking that Hanna Barbera stuff that we had grown up with, yeah, and doing what it did with it. Well, I mean, it's a little but, bit of MST3K, to be honest. Yeah, it is, and yet with an edge and, and rawness mm -hmm. that, and and I don't think you could have done it with any other any other cartoons other than those Hanna Barbera things because they were so generic. Yeah, it was just people opening their mouths and pointing in certain directions, and and so you could take it and slice up those cells and do whatever you wanted. Exactly. Um, and, and you know we've left movies almost out of this conversation entirely. And I'm okay with that. Uh, how well, many animated movies? Well, go ahead. No, if you've got thoughts on it, please. Because I, I do feel like we've omitted something in skipping it, especially the anime side and the Disney side. I would say I, I wasn't – here I go again being an old fuddy-duddy. I was never super into most of the Disney movies, animated movies. I'm like probably the only person who was alive in 1994 who saw The Lion King was just like, whatever. Um well, I was a musical theater guy, man. <laughs> I mean, some of the music is great. It's just, you know, I was... That, that was what I was also obsessed with Les Mis, and we'll just leave it at that. Bow down, bow down. Um, yeah. Look look down, oh, Cobra Commander that you are. The song is Look Down. Is it? Yeah, look down and show some mercy if you right. can. Look down, look down upon your fellow man. Anyway. Cool. That would make more sense. But yeah. <laughs> since never really mattered to me. Um, but anyway, what I was going to say is with the exclusion of the animated Robin Hood with the foxes, holy fuck, I love that. That is my favorite version of Robin Hood. And the Aristocats. Maybe? I don't know that I ever watched the Aristocrats. It's Aristocats, yeah, first off. Well, no, not whatever. The Aristocrats is the name of that legendary joke that you tell however you want to and make it as filthy as you can. Um, and I should remember right off the top of my head, and I don't, that was the same actor that did Baloo the Bear. Yeah. He voiced Baloo the Bear. He voiced... I did like uh, the Jungle Book. Oh, yeah. No, see, and there, several of those had, a, it's the same guy, Phil Harris. Phil Harris was his name. Um, that was the backbone of like three or four different Disney pictures in those days. Um, was it Jaja or Ava Gabor? My wife would know. That was in the Aristocats. Uh, it was the one that was, was on Zsa Green Zsa. Acres. It was the one that was on Green Acres. Yeah, I think that would be the older. So I think that was Jaja. Okay. Um, just 
those were excellent. And I think part of it, like the 1980s version of Annie, mm-hmm. um, much like the Muppet show, they weren't exclusively aimed young. And Disney's gotten back to that. But for, you know, some of the stuff they're doing now, like, well, have they, though? They've gotten back to a children and parents dynamic. I, I don't know that they've gotten, my Lord, Keller, Keller, Keller? yes, Carol Burnett as, as Cruella DeVille. No, Mrs. Havisham, sorry. And then whoever they got to play Cruella, 101 Dalmatians wasn't bad either. Um, all those movies, though, you're right, maybe not to you, but they were a touchstone. Yeah. And, you know, and I, we said in the Blockbusters episode, or I did Secrets of Nim. I mean, that oh fucked God. me I, up for years. Dude, I, and I still love- have not watched that a second time. <laughs> I don't know that I ever will. I've never watched The NeverEnding Story a second time. That horse in the swamp of sadness, dude. I can't deal with it. Right. No, I mean, I never finished watching it, but... Um, and let's, let's hit briefly. I know I said Vampire Hunter D, Akira, mm-hmm. you know, the Studio Ghibli stuff, but, but let, let's briefly hit some other anime or anime like things. Um, I mean, heavy metal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which, uh, sorry to all the Neil Pert fans out there. Uh, I feel you on the loss this week. Um, Rush would have fit with the heavy metal rock opera. So. <laughs> um, that movie, La Blue Girl, um, some of our first introductions to some edgier material, frankly. Yeah. Well, Aeon Flux. Oh, God, Ghost in the Shell. Yeah. Yeah, those were... And the thing about some of the anime is you really were getting some philosophy, whether you knew it or not. You were getting some fairly deep philosophical thoughts. Now they were being expressed with 8,000-pound fireballs sometimes. (laughs) You know, you really were getting some metaphysical thoughts and stuff going on in there that that did give you pause, that that did uh, make you maybe more familiar when you saw some of this philosophy emerge in some other movies later on with, with at least the idea that you need to be considering some of these existential questions. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what else I've got on this. I swear I thought we'd do more on anime than this. Uh, I mean, I could list a lot of more. What's that? I said I love Bob's Burgers right now. Yeah, that one out there. Uh, We can do what you were saying. I said I could list more that I really, really liked. It's just when we're talking about influences, there weren't a lot that had a huge influence on me. You know, it really is more the existence of them. Mm -hmm. And what they did to shape my view of the world rather than any specific one or the other. Um, Jim and the holograms, though. And no, I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> but she was truly outrageous. Um, just, I think it was more of an idea of whimsy and possibility and irreverence and illusion, A-L-L, not, you know, the alluding to things. I just, it... <sighs> It really did shape a lot of me, and maybe not any one piece of it, just super in particular, mm-hmm. but it was a huge, huge influence for me. Well, yeah, and I do think that they – I can understand that. To me, uh, it is almost like I was drawn – I mean, well, that Robin Hood's pretty wholesome, so I can't really say that there's anything overly subversive about that. And Scooby-Doo was subversive, but perhaps in a conformist way. Um, but like the stuff that was very far out there, like, um, South Park at the beginning, Beavis and Butthead, um, drawn together. Oh, drawn together. Fantastic. Yeah. 
um, even the Venture <laughs> Brothers and Aqua Teen Hunger Force and that kind of stuff. Oh, which yeah. Some of that is after I'm 25. Yeah, and of I course, love Rick and Morty but... today. It's because it's so caustic and can do things that in other formats you really can't necessarily get away with. Yes, it can. And the you mentioned uh, Beavis and Butthead. That that was that was one of the few cartoons that poked as much fun as it did at our generation that I also enjoyed that much. Yeah. Daria was more outward focused. Daria was okay and everybody else was out of their mind. Now they, they took her down and, and apart a little bit too, but Oh, Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> well that's still in the Beavis and Butthead do America. Which I have to say that South Park, bigger, faster, uncut, I actually fell out of my chair because I was laughing so hard during the <laughs> Uncle Fucker song. But for um, me, it was the uh, for me it was the medley. Yeah, that would do it too. Um, <laughs> I just couldn't believe that I was seeing that on a big screen TV in Paducah, Kentucky, or not TV, a theater. I was just like, holy shit, where what life am I actually living? Um, <laughs> but Beavis and Butthead had one of my favorite jokes just because and it's it's really not even that funny to probably anybody else but me it's kind of like my favorite joke in uh Kung Pao Legend of the Fist but they're on a tour of Hoover Dam and they're like doing the tour and you hear the tour guide summing up everything and he goes okay any questions and Beavis raises his hand and goes is this a goddamn <laughs> it's a lame joke but it gives the impression that they have been on this tour for hours <laughs> he's been waiting, he's been waiting to ask yes I will say so you're going to have to pardon a bad impression here. My favorite thing on Beavis and Butthead ever was when they were watching videos. You know, yeah. actually, ironically, you're talking, of, we, we've mentioned, it's come up in three or four different things, the MST3K phenomenon of commenting on pop culture, which is, in fact, what we're sitting here doing. Uh, but there's one of them, and I don't remember what video it is. It is not actually the at all. It comes on, and the very first thing Beavis says is, Ever since I was a young boy, I played the silver ball. But I'm like, Beavis? But ever since I was a young boy, I played the silver ball. I die every time I think of that. That and, uh, of course, the Rollins video for Liar. <laughs> But uh, <laughs> <laughs> and you know part of what that made part of what made that show so great was the teachers. Yeah, because some of those really were our high school teachers. Coach Buzzcut and was it Van Dreesen? It was Van something. I don't. Remember. That was the guidance counselor. Um, that may have been in Daria, but. <laughs> And their neighbor, who was Hank Hill, yeah. <laughs> he wasn't developed yet, but <laughs> you boys need to stop whacking off in my tool shed. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but Van Dreesen. So, actually, there apparently isn't the the city from uh, King of the Hill Highland? Uh, Don't they live no. in Highland, Texas? No, they. if you hadn't asked me, I'd have just told you. Oh, my God. Why did you ask me, Ben? I could have told you. Oh, because that was uh, where Beavis and Butthead were. Yeah. Well, well, were they in the same were they in the same town as Daria? Uh, yeah. Uh, King of the Hill is set in Arlen. Arlen, that's right. Arlen, Texas. But for all we know, it's you know three three city streets down. So three. Well, not in Texas. It's not forty five miles down highway. But (laughs) it's only about an hour and a half. (laughs) <laughs> you're not joking around I'm here <laughs> I'm aware because I can remember in Kentucky it was like if somebody told me oh it's only about 30 minutes I'd be like oh that's not a far drive at all and Texas is much bigger <laughs> oh yeah yeah oh, it's only about three and three three and a half hours to get there thanks well and and as a now resident of Texas uh, one of the favorite boasts of many of the people here is if you start at the very southernmost tip of Texas, you can drive to Canada and you will spend as much time in Texas as you do any other state. Yeah. 
it's not quite entirely true. You end up about two thirds to three fourths of the way through North Dakota, but <laughs> it's pretty darn close. And uh, I, what have we done? Where have we gone? We named the show the right thing. <laughs> So we will be hitting, uh, in our next one, we are going to hit gaming, uh, video, RPG, and otherwise. Uh, after that, we're probably going to bring you the glory of the Cold War. And um, I don't know. Let's see. Uh, hopefully we're not about to parallel what happened once uh, George, was it Prince George or Prince Andrew that ran off with Wallace Simpson? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, well, whichever one abdicated and ran off with her, and then we had World War II, we're hopefully not headed in that direction. Um, I'm pretty sure it had very little to do with him abdicating the throne. As a historian, I feel I can confidently say that. <laughs> they were supposedly spying for the Nazis. Spying for the Nazis? He wasn't a Nazi sympathizer, but so was the homeboy who replaced him. So. Well, and so was Wallace Simpson, but I find it weird that their plane was shot down over Norway in those circumstances. But be it. Well, I say shut down. There's no evidence. <laughs> shut down. Bang, bang. What was I doing? that? I was going to look and see. I was going to check on something that we had talked about last episode. Because we had talked about setting up some kind of voicemail thingy, and yeah. it have that capabilities, and I did click the little icon to make that active, but I have no idea how you actually access it. All right, so listen next time when we tell you how you can actually reach us, and if... Actually, yeah, I found it. Okay, well, go ahead, Ben. So if you go to our anchor.fm website, which is anchor.fm backslash dangerously... Dash eclectic. Actually, it's a hyphen, not a dash. Um, but anyway, if you go to that website, you will see a little thing next to listen on Spotify that says message. And if you can click that, you can call that from Skype or whatever calling software you use. And you can leave us a voice message. If we like it, we may play it. If we don't like it, we may play it and mock you. Uh, no, we're, we're actually pretty decent, relatively humane people in real life. Uh, hopefully we haven't given you the impression otherwise, though I suspect we may have. Uh, but, you know, we do want, even if we're not going to use it in, in the podcast, we do want your feedback, your opinions, topics you think would be interesting to hear discussed. Indeed. You know, if you see if you're an expert on one of them and you'd want to come in and pick us apart, we'll we'll make a podcast for that. I mean, <laughs> yeah, sure. If you just want to cut a promo on us, go for it. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. You know. I got nothing. I got nothing else. <laughs> if, He's like, done. I'm I, done. I'm done with this. Well, I do apologize <laughs> for my sound quality tonight and and for my brain deadness. I left my headset at work because I called something on the order of 246 students today, former students doing follow-up alumni surveys. And <laughs> frankly, my tongue is about as tired as my brain is. So, yeah, that's it. Uh, that's it. I'm out. <laughs> Bye, Felicia. No. <laughs> I am going to let you sign us out, Ben. Uh, until next time, I'm L. You can hit me at Eclectic Heretic uh, on Twitter and have a wonderful week or night or month or day or whatever you're doing right now. Peace. Have a good one out there, Dangerously Eclectic listeners. Tune in again next week when we talk about something else, which I think is actually going to be L said in the episode. Um, I just don't remember it right now. So. Have a good night.